This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. Find all my work at mjmunoz.com. Welcome back to <laughs> Going Ultra. This is Going Ultra episode uh, 14, sort of. Uh, Ultra Looper, where I'm covering Ultraman Zet episode 14, which is not a clip show, but it is a little bit of a weird show with reused footage. So it's an original show, original episode. However, it has clip show elements. And it's part of this weird three-part, I don't know, deconstruction of Ultraman as a superhero who uses lethal force on kaiju who are, you know, living sentient beings. And yeah, so anyway, join me for a discussion of this episode of Ultraman Z, which features tuna, time loops, and toughness. This episode got me a little misty, and I will tell you why as I talk about that deconstruction that I mentioned earlier. So... Starting off with a uh, light topic first, uh, Boss Baco happens again. I don't know why this man is so charismatic, but he is, and I love, like, one, I think the actor's performance is very charismatic. Um, I thought it in the original, I think, you know, the voice actor does a good job matching him, I like it anyway, and it totally works for me, and it's weird that this guy uh, <laughs> is displaying all these talents and all this ability and all this coolness uh you know he's just like a regular old mechanic guy who's you know in his 60s or whatever and uh is just working around all these you know kids and i don't know if it's because he's older than them and japan has a more of a culture of respect for elders than the united states has at least on the surface it does um and i so i, I don't know if it's that or if it's something else maybe it's just they wanted to do something like this in the show with this Baco character, and I didn't. Everybody did a good job at it because all the young people seem super excited by this old guy doing his stuff, and he. I, it's almost like he's doing it tongue in cheek, like he knows he's being like a, kind of a silly old man, but at the same time, it's kind of uh, <clears throat> badical to borrow a term from uh, Keith Hayward from Henshin Justice Unlimited. Um, so that's really interesting, and. I like it. I love that. I, I, I ask that you taste my tuna, um, <laughs> which sounds inappropriate or weird a little bit until you know the context of it, that this guy's making sushi. And when everybody asks him how he knows how to do that, he says, it's just something I picked up along the way. And he does that with his magic tricks. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but when, uh, oh, who was it? Oh man. When that pirate, that space pirate, uh, Barossa, alien Barossa had infiltrated storage, he ended up basically saving the day with a little bit of help from Haruki, but he, the old man did it mostly on his own, which is awesome. So anyway, I love this guy. He's so cool, so charismatic, so fun. And it's not just that he's fun. He's also like a mentor character. He's mentored Yuka and Haruki a bit. Uh, Hiyoko likes him because he's old and she's into old dudes. Um, which, you know, if you look, if you look at what an old man, an older guy can offer you versus a younger guy, you might say, and of course, depending on the age range, you might say, you know what? I'm going to go with the guy who has more status, more wisdom, more capability, more money, more maturity, and uh, these young punks who don't know how to treat a woman. Why would I go with them? Uh, anyway, that's not the focus of the show. Uh, there were some good gags and funny moments. Like, uh, Hebikura has said on at least two occasions that he had to go to the bathroom for something. And in this, I, don't, I didn't check the subs or the subversion of it, but in this he says, like, oh, I gotta go take a pee break to Yuka, and she tells him, T.I., which was a really funny moment, and then he ends up in the bathroom because of this fourth-dimensional shenanigans going on uh, that 
well, anyway, I, I don't really care how um, uh, Celebro got that kaiju to do whatever it does. <laughs> anyway, um, but he ends up in the bathroom, and he's about to leave. And, uh, he's transformed. He untransforms or turns back. He retransforms into a human form, and he's about to leave, and he says, Ah, well, I'm here. And he goes to the urinal and pees. And, like, that is such a weird, quirky, like, I don't know, sort of edgy moment or whatever for, like, a kid's show. Um it really caught me, and uh, it was funny. It was funny. Um, but, of course, understanding the differences between our, our uh, culture and Japanese culture. Um, like, in Kamen Rider Kiva, uh, the main character ends up bathing with a couple men, and they show it, and it's like they're sitting in the bathtub in his home together, and it's like no big deal, which is, again, sounds a little ludicrous. But, you know, what's the difference between that and sitting in a hot tub? I think it's kind of the equivalent of that. Not that seeing somebody pee is the equivalent of being in a hot tub, but, you know... I didn't like going to baseball stadiums as a kid for a certain reason, and it, you know, <laughs> I'm okay now, but it, it's, uh, it's common. It's common. You would see that. Anyway, moving on from that, um, so the psychological time loop thing is super interesting. Again, I don't really understand the nature of that kaiju. I didn't even catch its name, but it's the, you know, fourth dimension thing with the weird, like, uh, it looks like it's probably based off of an original Ultraman kaiju. I don't know that for sure. If not... The original then probably one of the you know earlier second or third series because it has giant like uh industrial from a kitchen uh spinners that you would stick into a thing for mixing cake batter or whatever like i can imagine those which are i don't know 40 inches long being attached to something and it's a uh you know 30 or 50 gallon bowl uh that holds all this batter and it mixes that stuff up that's that's exactly what it looks like this crazy thing has but anyway it inflicts this time pocket dimension reality bubble thing on the storage facility and messes them up and you know it was interesting uh celebro said something like he's not satisfied with their development or something like that i don't know if he's <laughs> it seems very strange because he could have been using that opportunity to kill them but he didn't seem to want to kill them he seemed to want to disperse some sort of development with them and i don't know how or if I mean, maybe just witnessing things. He realizes that something's going on with Ultraman, but then that would also imply that he knows that uh, Ultraman is somebody at storage. Um, hmm, I hadn't thought that through yet. But anyway, he seems like he wants to spur something on, but maybe it's not Zeth or Haruki's development and, and uh, I don't know, resolution, resolve, that he's trying to fix or repair. Maybe it's something with the actual uh, storage group and their robots or, you know, King Joe, um, that's, that's an, an interesting concept. Oh, also super interesting, super sad that Sevenger is being, uh, put into, well, sort of put into mothballs to be a display unit while Wind, Windham and King Joe will be the, the standard roster. I don't know why they wouldn't opt for having three mech, but they're going with just the two, uh, SAA, which is what special armored airborne vehicles or whatever. Anyway, um, so that's kind of interesting. And it was a sad moment in the beginning of the episode. But getting more into the psychological loop, I, I'm get, trying to get out of my own psychological time loop. Uh, it was interesting to me that the thing that determined the characters getting looped through these situations was their mindset. And I have no idea if any of that stuff that Yuka was talking about is actual theoretical stuff. But from a narrative structure alone, having your mindset be what limits you and what keeps you locked into a certain place is brilliant and beautiful. And it reminds me of this awesome scene from uh it's evangelion on music it's an anime 
It's called, oh dear, dear me, Grandma, what is it called? Razafon. Razafon, Razafon, Razafon. Oh, what a show. What an interesting, weird, quirky, crazy show. I've probably watched it about three times. Uh, the last time I watched it, I dearly remember the line, and it struck me so hard that the main character, whose name I can't remember right now, says, uh, which is, he, he, <laughs> he was stuck on the other side of the bear. And I've talked about this on other reviews or podcasting that I've done for other stuff. Because this concept, I, I, I love it so much. And it's, it's baked into this. It's connected to this. You'll see. He's stuck on the side of this barrier. Or on, he's stuck on one side of this barrier and he wants to get to the other side of the barrier. And eventually he's able to. And then he realizes, or he learns the truth, that the barrier was never really a barrier at all. And instead the barrier was in his mind or his heart because he presupposed that he couldn't get through the barrier. Therefore, he was unable to. And once that knowledge and that mindset has shifted in himself, he's able to get through and he laughs to himself and he says, the barrier was inside of me the whole time or something along those lines. I can't find, I want to find that episode, uh, rip the clip, you know, get the video, get the audio. Cause it's just, it's so great. And maybe you had to be there in the context of the show to really get it, but it is fabulous. And it's something I, I want to archive and document because I think it's really beautiful and meaningful in a, you know, crazy show about Mayan mecha and aliens and, and weird stuff. Anyway, um, but it reminds me of that because Yoko had to get herself through. She was feeling doubtful and Haruki was feeling even more doubtful about their place in the world and, you know, using the mecha and fighting and killing and whatnot. But they had to get past that. And they did. They each did. She found her resolve. She's already ahead of Haruki, like I've mentioned before. She's ahead of Haruki in her development and he's farther behind, but he's getting there by gum and he's you know working on developing it and this episode propels him to do that and it's just such an awesome idea that it's set up uh for that it that this episode is set up for that purpose and that it comes at this time like obviously the people making the show made it in an order so that they could have this sort of like i said deconstruction of ultraman as a you know killer superhero kind of guy and I really find it fascinating that, what is it, 11, 12, 13, 14? Like, these four episodes over the course of them, we get to see this slowly developed. And, you know, I had mistakenly thought, oh, I love that one thing in Zet with the Red King and all that stuff. But really, it's this whole suite of episodes that works together as, I guess, an arc of, like, questioning what it is to be a hero and, like, I just, it's amazing. It's amazing. I love it. Um, but anyway, just that conceit is a really cool one. Uh, I'm going to move on uh, real quick. Uh, you know, Hebikura as juggler is running around. He goes outside. He kind of stops. Um, oh, man. He kind of stops. What? Celebro. But he kind of doesn't. And he tells him he doesn't want to interfere. He just wants to push him off today so they can have the celebration. So it's like he's attached to the storage people, but he's not. He's somewhat distant. It's a very strange thing. And who knows if that's just him being tricky so that he can get an upper hand on Celebro and, like, figure out what to do to stop everything. It's strange. And then at the end of the battle, which he's outside to witness, somehow he's outside again to witness the battle, he, like, turns away from it and, like, oh, that was fun to watch. Like, I don't know. Like, is that mocking people who are into the stuff? Is it, like, I, I, I didn't even know what that means. I didn't even know what that means. But it's an interesting moment. And it's just uh, adding a little bit more to this interesting character in Juggler who I enjoy very much in the show. So, I already talked about the Eldritch Enemy, which was this weird 
I don't know, like sea cucumber, like, I don't know, what's that Pokemon it looks like? You know who it is. Sheldon? I don't know, something like that. Um, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I talked about him enough. Weird, crazy, cool, interesting. Also, this reminds me of the episode of Evangelion where, because I've drawn a lot of comparisons to Evangelion and Zet specifically, um, where there's that flat shadow. It's like the zebra. There's like, there's like a, sh- a shadow on the ground and a thing above it. But the shadow is the real thing, is the real substance, and the thing up in the air that looks like it has form is actually the shadow of it. So it's like an inverse of reality. And that thing has all sorts of crazy, like, mind... Uh, I can't say that on a show like this. Mind-bending um, <laughs> type of stuff going on with it, too, I believe. I believe. Anyway, that but that's the kind of show Evangelion was. So anyway, um, I love it the... Oh, man. Righteous Fury or Heroic Resolve? What do I talk about first? Okay, so... Haruki got to go back and meet his dad. That moment in the show where we saw Kid Haruki playing with his dad and his dad is down that hill for so long getting the ball scared me so much. I mentioned this before. I mean, not literally scared me, but just like narratively like, oh no, what's going to happen? What are they going to do to Haruki? What's going to happen to his dad? And it turns out that his dad meets his son in the future somehow through this crazy time loop thing that's going on where Haruki somehow through the cursed blessing or blessing blessed curse of this kaiju that he's fighting gets to go back in time and see his father one more time the man who died protecting him the man who he thought he killed in the visage of the red king i talked about this before i'm not going to expand on it you can go back to that episode to see exactly what i'm talking about the man who inspired him to be a hero and who inspired him to save people because he was willing to effectively abandon his wife and son in order to save other people. And I don't know if there's some sort of unresolved like anger or frustration that Haruki has with his dad. Sorry, lady. Um, and like that's something that's being played on here. Or if it's just that he's inspired by his father because of what his dad you know, was willing to do. And like the good of it. I don't even know if that's an element of it or not. That like conflict maybe. But he definitely knows that he's not the man his dad is and he aspires to that and coming face to face with him with his ghost with his alive self after he thought he'd killed him and having that chance to to touch him to shake hands and to look into his eyes and to i don't know like have that moment to i don't know meet that hero meet that person who inspired him it added like a redemptive value to it because like i don't know instead of hurting i don't know it's crazy it's crazy to me because it's really impactful and really emotional but i don't quite understand the mechanics of it is it like he killed when he killed the red king it was like he was the kaiju who killed his father and now that he gets to meet him in the past and shake hands with him and talk to him about he deals how he deals with the inability to be a perfect hero and the inevitable failure that you will let some people down. You will have to hurt and kill some to save many more. You know, some guilty parties, not innocent parties. It's not, it's not what we're talking about. This isn't the trolley dilemma. This is actual, there's somebody aggressing and trying to murder people and you're stopping them by killing them with lethal force. How do you live with yourself when you do that? And the answer that his father gives him, like, frees him from his guilt and from the trauma of what happened. And it enables him to form the resolve to go back and to do his best to give his most to save whoever he can 
and I'm just repeating from the show, not paraphrasing, and to etch into his heart and his soul the memories of those who he failed and those he had to destroy in order to do that. And wow, it's just beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. And then it's almost ironic. After that, he is able to escape. He's able to transform. He's able to... He becomes... Uh, not Red King. <laughs> no, not Red Man either. He becomes Beta Smash. And he uses all of his might and all of his muscle and all of his fury to rip those batter spoon mixer thingies, uh, the batter beaters, rip those out of the kaiju and uh, eventually destroy him with the same slash with that powerful cyclone weapon or whatever that he used to kill the Red King. I don't even know how to articulate how much I love that and how good it is and how like cathartic and healing that is and how beautiful and, and good and useful it is and how entertaining it is to see him go through this arc to have the question raised, dealt with, examined, and finally answered that you have to do the best you can and it doesn't make you evil, it doesn't make you wicked, it doesn't make you not a hero if you have to go to these certain measures if you're doing it with the right heart and if you're doing it with the right intention. Not that outcomes don't, don't matter as long as intentions are good, that's not what I'm saying and, and you're being uncharitable if you want to accuse me of saying that, but it's having compassion and understanding for people on both sides of the of the matter. And it's super interesting. I absolutely loved it. This might be my favorite episode. I don't know. It's weird, but I like it a lot. I'm going to wrap it up there. I went for a lot longer than I thought I would. So I'm going to go ahead and stop myself here. And I thank you for your time and attention. I encourage you to go check out uh, the Ava and the Growbug children's picture book manuscript that I'm going to post on the website on mjmunoz.com I will also put a audio version of it there if you don't want to read it with your own eyes if you want to listen to it with your ears you can do that too um, I'm going to have it in the notes there and it'll probably be in my story over everything book author uh, podcast feed thing too which I will link in the show notes for that episode special uh, not on the audio only but on the uh, on the actual website but the audio only will link to that maybe I'll throw it in there too just, just for fun this one time anyway that's it this is MJ signing out I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.